Hello and welcome to the very, very first Priority Sale podcast. I am Jesse Lafine. I'm joined by my colleague, as ever, Brian Gray. Hi, Brian. Hello, Jesse. Hello, everyone. And today's topic is why the why the heck, we'll say, why the heck do we need another sales method? It seems like there's a lot of them in the universe today. We just introduced the priority sale in 2020. Why the heck do we need another sales method? You know, Jesse, I think the people that ran horse stables back in the 1800s, 1900s when this automobile came out saying, do we really need a different way to get to work? <laughs> and, you know, I just thought of that, but I'm sure there's all kinds of analogies um, that can can meet the changing times we live in. Knowing that we live in a world of, of hyper acceleration, we live in a world where, as we've talked ad nauseum about the three deadly seas, and it's creating a, a some dynamics that that make previous ways of doing something irrelevant. The only time to introduce, in my opinion, something new is when a challenge or disruption or dislocation even occurs that that forces us into a, a different approach to be successful. I do believe we're in a time now where the, the change is so vast that if we don't adopt a new approach, we're going to see ourselves becoming increasingly irrelevant. And. I want to explore that disruption a little bit because I think a lot of people may be listening to this and hear that, you know, we came out with the sales method in 2020 and you're talking about disruption, dislocation. This is not pandemic related. No, and no, I, and I think you could even address this whole idea of how much acceleration has occurred since the pandemic. But what in being 54 years old, I've lived through a few disruptions in business in my career and and what's common about each one, even you know, 9-11 or the 08-09 economic collapse, if you look at those from just a disruption perspective, it's changed things. But more importantly, it's just advanced where we are going in the first place. We were going to video meetings. We were going to telemedicine. We we're going to all these things over time. All the pandemic did um, is speed up the clock. It, it certainly did. I want to talk a little bit about some of those things that have been sort of uh, slow boiling, if you will, for the past you know 20 years. Uh, the first one I want to focus on is this idea that sales or uh, buying teams have just really exploded, right? Uh, like we've seen them uh, growing and growing and growing. Uh, what's that really done to us as sellers uh, as we walk into a room where you know before it might have been one or two people, now it's six, seven, eight, nine people. Yeah, it, it, a little bit of a backstory. I think this all started. This particular change happened and accelerated during the economic collapse, where I think that scarce resources really forced organizations to understand what their priorities were. At the You're same talking time. about two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, did I get the years wrong there? No, I just oh, okay. wanted to clarify that. <laughs> okay, yeah, thanks, Jesse. Yeah, which which, ec which economic collapse? Yeah, right on. Yeah, back in thirty three. No, back in the oh <laughs> eight oh nine collapse, uh, it forced us to. Um, protect resources and, and, and be more uh, prudent in how we, how we use them, then you start seeing solutions and systems create a, a high degree of interconnectivity and interdependence. So we start seeing the decision-making teams grow. And the problem is every single person on that decision-making team has their own priority. And getting trying to align, knowing that doing nothing at all or waiting three, six months, which means never, is in most cases the easiest decision to make you start seeing the ramification of larger decision-making teams with a slowing down of a sales cycle. 
Yeah, we saw a stat the other day. Um, it was based on a survey, a pretty large one that said about 68% of the time uh, when you lose a sale, it's not to a competitor, it's to nope. indifference. Yeah, the, which, uh, by the way, I think we really should talk about the way sellers are trained over the last 30, 40 years uh, with that competitive matrix, comparing themselves to their direct competitors. And what's really changed is your number one comp competitor or competition is not your direct. It's all the other opportunities and great ideas that a prospective organization is considering, which is why doing nothing's your biggest enemy. Uh, and one of the other, uh, you know, massive changes over the past 20 or so years um, has been this uh, phenomenon of, uh, as, as a salesperson, uh, as a seller, being left out of the vast majority of the beginning of that sale, right? Um, I'm, you know, since you gave your age, I'm, I'm 38. I mean, uh, digital native. Uh, I've only been selling since the internet. Uh, but I think that there's still this attitude of um, being, you know, giving value through information, right? Yeah. Go back to weird thing to consider. I bet half the audience here, Jesse, started selling before the internet. Certainly. Which is a, a, a crazy thing to think about. But, but when you're in the middle of it, you knew no better, no different. The fact is we are information distributors. And it was on us to make sure that our prospects best understood um, their challenges and what we could do about that. In fact, you could have had an inferior product at a higher price 25 years ago and, and been successful if you had more distribution or more sales salespeople because of the internet, right? And self-education, we just don't need sellers, salespeople to uh, inform us anymore. So that the propensity is just to ignore them until we really, really need to talk to them. That's the perception, I think, uh, from the buyer for, for sure. Um, now that I can research and get all the information I want, um, I really don't need to talk to anybody. Um, so what is the role of a seller during that first, I mean, up to 80% of a purchase has traveled without a salesperson. What, what is the role of the, the seller during that time? Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, I think in the book, we address this a bit, don't we? Where if you can't answer this question, why do you even have salespeople? Do you even need salespeople anymore? Now we could talk about where artificial intelligence is going to take on that, that procurement seller role. And I think it's a legit question for CEOs. Why do you even have salespeople? Um, you don't need them to answer questions. You don't need them to quote product. And if you can't answer the question in a way that, that has you positioned earlier at a higher level where you can be much more influential in the buyer's journey to make sure that, that your real impact is connected to the prospect's priority, I, I just don't see the value or need for seller salespeople in the next five to 10 years if you don't um, focus on that. But there is work to do, certainly for the seller. Hundred percent. And if you don't understand those challenges and what your role is, I mean, if we want to use stats, eighty percent of executives don't see sellers adding any value, which is another reason why they ignore you till the very end. So if if we can't position ourselves to become much more um, influential earlier in the buying journey, and if we can't connect our real impact to what matters most to our prospects there's not a lot of value. And I think that's the real work, seeing yourself as a real consultant, as helping them really shape and understand their real threats and how you can actually help make those threats go away. So they're gathering all the information themselves. They're fighting amongst, you know, five, six, seven, eight people. Uh, this all leads to this ultimate conclusion, which we call the race to the bottom, right? Uh, yeah, it leads the, a bunch the of ultimate, no good. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's really tough. Uh, uh, ultimately, it comes down to being commoditized, right? 
so we get into that room full of people at the very, very end of the sale. And why wouldn't they decide on price? Yeah, if the prospect's brain can't tell the difference between the three or four finalists who all have great testimonials, have been in business for a long time, can technically do the work, um, you tell me why they shouldn't make it based on price. They, and and that, that's why I think in the selling process, you're seeing so much value being destroyed because we allow ourselves to come in at that moment where there's the race to the bottom. That, that's the real fundamental problem here. Yeah, and that value being destroyed, that's interesting. Uh because when we're talking about these things, we're not necessarily always talking about winning or losing an entire deal, right? It's, it's more than that. It's, it's more nuanced than that. Uh, what, what we're talking about is selling valuable deals, right? The, the kinds that buyers will appreciate afterwards because they have the right add-ons, they have the right services bundled with them, whatever those things are around that sale that will actually make that solution a success uh, really can be won or lost, even though the deal is won uh, sort of around that, right? If so much of a business, a business's value is, is baked into the margin, right? If you're a valuable, if you're a valued organization, you deserve appropriate margins to support the staff, support the, the vision, support the entire organization. But when the world doesn't see the same thing you see, they're going to ask for lower and lower prices, which just, just compress and destroy your margin. All of a sudden, the business starts falling apart because you can't do what you were designed to do. You can't support the people you wanted to support. And that's where I, we talk value being created or destroyed. So absolutely, you can win a deal and just do the wrong thing for the business. And that, that means just, just giving it away, uh, disrespecting your margin, giving it into a point where there's nothing, there's nothing to support the business. So we end up working harder uh, for less margin. Right. So that idea that uh, I'm just going to go sharpen the pencil on this and you know, pull, pull 2% off the price, that, that could be half the margin. A hundred percent. The hundred two percent, hundred percent of the market. Yes, you're absolutely right. The the sharpen the pencil means just just why don't you surrender your value to me right now, and then okay, I'll be right back. <laughs> Versus doing the real work and selling today, and that is really really creating value. Which value creation is about understanding your real impact and and just connecting it to the your prospects' priorities. That's how you that's how you protect and create value. Uh, not see your value being destroyed. So we've talked about commoditization. We've talked about compressed selling time. We've talked about consensus decision-making. Let's get back to the topic at hand, Uh, knowing that these things exist. Why the heck do we need another sales method? (laughs) Yeah, we have been just dancing around this, haven't we? But when you look at the, we call them the three deadly C's, commoditization, compressed selling time and consensus decision-making. And when you see those all take place, um, you're seeing a real compression, that race to the bottom. And the vast majority of sales process or sales training programs were developed 30, 40, 50, and 60 years ago. And they just weren't designed around such acceleration and the internet and the, the changes that we've had. So if you are an organization who do want, does want to create value and doesn't want to see value destroyed, then I would seriously consider a, a new sales methodology that's really designed for the environment that we now live in. And I don't want to pick on any one existing sales method too much because I think um, they all kind of have very, very similar flaws, right? Uh, but I mean, to your point, 40, 50, 60 years ago, Sandler was invented, I think, in 67, 1967. Yeah, 67, 68, yeah. 
um, world looks a lot different than right. And I think um, really any methodology, whether it's, you know, uh, Spin or Sandler or, you know, any of the many, many others, um, I think one of the things that they all do well is they give a seller a, a place and a format to actually sit down and think about their trade, right? Sure. Um, I, I think often we find ourselves in sales roles more than we aspire to sales roles, if that makes sense. And that's uh, true, whether it's a, you know, classic pound the pavement B2B uh, type thing, uh, or if it's a, you know, services company where you're, you know, practicing architecture, engineering, whatever that thing is, accounting, and all of a sudden, you know, you want to make partner and there's a brand new revenue goal placed on your head. Either way, I think a lot of us find ourselves in sales roles and what these methods do well is give us a place to actually, you know, step back and think about this and actually practice, right? Um, which is something that, that we don't do often. The other thing that I think a lot of the older methodologies do well is give us a good um, questioning technique. Mm -hmm. uh, so Absolutely. being able to uh, be really, really in intentional with the questions, you know, that, that we go into a meeting or as we like to call it a moment of truth with a prospect. Some of the places they fail, uh, certainly being able to address those three deadly C's. Um, and it's, it's really, it's, it's not their fault, right? Uh, no, the idea no. that throttling information was providing value is really the premise of, I think, pretty much everything that came, you know, pre-internet. Yeah, I, there, there's really three main shortcomings that those previous systems just didn't think about or didn't have the visibility around, and that would be larger decision-making teams. A lot of those are written for one-on-one -on -one communication where I can really, I don't say manipulate, but I can really persuade you uh, to choose me. Uh, there wasn't easy access to information. We didn't have tens of, if not dozens of competitors that could get to my prospect in a, in a second of time. I remember driving down South. I wanted to be crossing the Ohio river before the sun came up because I wanted to be in front of anybody in Kentucky before my comp competition was out of bed. That that's completely old school as romantic as it might sound. And then uh, third is, is they're not used to being brought in at the last minute where they don't have control of the dialogue anymore. So you walk into a room, whether it's a Zoom meeting or a, a physical room, and there's seven people sitting with their arms folded. How are you going to start that conversation based on previous sales methodologies? So, yeah, there, there was some good that came out of all of that. There's always been a building block approach. It's just nothing that's still popular was developed in this world where the three deadly seas have existed. Something that's really interesting to me about methodologies that were developed prior to the internet um, and based on, you know, that model is this idea that you could map a sale in chronological order and it would probably almost always follow that order, right? Um, so, you know, step one, step two, step three, et cetera, et cetera. And I think in, in our minds when we're, you know, working within a chronological methodology, um, something interesting happens, which is our brains want to get through each step as quickly as possible, yep. uh, because that means that we're doing a good job. We're hitting all our marks. Uh, everything is humming along. I don't think based on the amount of information that they can gather, some of which is good, some of which is bad, the amount of new people that are entering the room, the, the size of that committee and all those competing priorities, I don't really believe that any one sale follows a specific order uh, in the same way every single time anymore. I, I, is, is that a thing? 
Yeah, I, I think you're right, because steps meant progress. And when you had one or two decision makers at most, but think about when you start adding four and five people to an equation, just think about scheduling meetings and think about just the excessive time that goes into play, you know, and just, just the, how we know that time kills deals. So there's so many things that, that speak to the complexity of what sales look like today. And I would really like to replace this idea of steps, meaning progress versus priority is really what reigns supreme. So in, in, in this can take a, a very a circuitous route. It could be, you know, good, meet, good moment of truth, bad moment of truth. But until you really understand your prospect's real priority or priorities and your real impact, you're going to be falling for a process versus the real impact or outcome, what you're searching for. And I think that's hopefully what really simplifies selling today is as many challenges and disruptions we're talking about. I think we're entering an age where selling can become very simple and very powerful. You just have to do some hard things that you didn't think you had to do uh, based on selling years ago. So before we wrap, um, I, I, I feel like injecting some hope here, right? Because basically we're saying you, you can't follow an order. You have no time left. Uh, you know, everything's working against you. Uh, let's, you know, if we can briefly just talk a couple of minutes about what the priority sale is and what we're filling into that void that we sort of just created by saying all of these things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, knowing that, that so much value is being destroyed in selling the selling process today, the, the, revert, the opposite is true as well. You can create a tremendous amount of value. But what we have to be able to do is to get the right meetings with higher level decision makers early in the buying journey where prioritization really does occur. So versus waiting till the very end and then racing to the bottom because everybody looks, sounds, and acts the same. Um, sellers today that are able to understand priority, to understand their real impact, and to get those meetings earlier, will find that selling becomes much more rewarding because you all of a sudden have a consultative approach to what you're doing. You'll find your, your value is understood and paid for, and you'll see your margins grow. So I think this is we're entering a golden age uh, of selling, in my opinion, uh, but not without some changes that we have to go through. And I don't think that's any surprise to anyone, and none of us really like to make change or like to change. But, but it's there for the taking. And I think this is a, really our opportunity. So to sort of recap, I, I don't know if I'd call it an argument uh, that, that we've made here, uh, why the world really actually does need another selling method. Um, the internet completely changed the way that we sell and uh, our value is no longer in providing information. It really needs to be more consultative. It needs to be at that higher level and it needs to be earlier on. Um, in some cases, even selling to people who don't really understand why they should be entering this marketplace in the right right now, absolutely, uh, which is very interesting and a topic that we will be uh, diving deeper into uh, in the future. Um, the other thing uh, that I wanted to touch on briefly before we go is uh, the 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 way we train uh, also kind of needs an update, right? It's it's no longer enough to. Uh, you know, get what, what was his name, Matt Foley in the room uh, in front of your, your sales team for a day. That just doesn't really make a lot of sense anymore because of what we know about how our brains remember, but not really remember sort of anything. Uh, your, your thoughts on the uh, selling seminar and what needs to be different. Yeah. And this is, a, this is another example where disruption, in this case, COVID, brings forth the real change that's been needed for some time. It's from a, from a 
looking past perspective, I remember I did a, um, it was a sales meeting with just six or seven sellers for an organization. And you're three or four months out. And he said, Brian, you won't believe the amount of effort it took to get people just in a room for an afternoon. So not only is it logistically challenging, we don't want to sit in a room and then we forget 90% of what we learn after a week. And because you have uh, experienced sellers, new sellers in the room, you're just trying to throw something right down the middle that it's over the head of some and below <laughs> what's needed from others. It just, the, the train just, just didn't work from so many different levels. So here we are in a new world now where you don't need to be physically present in the room and you can actually uh, individualize what needs from an upskilling perspective to work with individual sellers on what they need to work on. So just by nature of this, we're going to see um, big leaps taken from an upskilling perspective and how we can tailor fit um, exactly what people need to learn and understand and grow that's completely fit to them. That might be radically different than someone who's been there for 10 or 15 years. And, and I, I, I'm just fascinated by that ability to, to uh, now have that opportunity. So the way we sell needs to change. The way that we implement the way that we sell needs to change. Uh, I hope that we have been uh, very, very convincing uh, in that regard. Uh, thanks, Brian. My pleasure. Thank you, Jesse. And now it is time for my favorite segment. Is this a thing? This is a this is a question I often ask uh, about random do. objects or ideas in the universe. Uh, it is one of my favorite ways to explore something new. Uh, curious as I am, so uh, in this segment we will be uh, looking at uh, something that occurs in selling or sales organizations, and we'll be asking ourselves: Is this a thing? Today's topic is hustle. Hustle. Hustle is something that we hear a lot about in selling and selling organizations. Brian, is hustle a thing? You know, it's funny, Jesse, um, when I hear the word hustle and in full disclaimer, I did not know that was the, this is the thing topic. So nothing prepared yet. I could go on about this. Oh, I'm never going to give you these, by the way. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I remember reading years ago, and this was a quote attributed to Abraham Lincoln, which fascinates me because the quote is such things come to those who wait but only the things left by those who hustle. Now, speaking of, is this a thing? It's like, was that a thing back in the 1800s where, the, where Abraham Lincoln would use the word hustle? Because it just doesn't seem like President Lincoln would say hustle. But nonetheless, the idea of, of hustling has always been there. And I think whether you use a, a more modernized fortune favors the bold um, in a world of hustle, I, I shared earlier in our segment how I would be on the road by 4.35 in the morning just to out-hustle my competition. Right. Because I knew that if I just had the right habits and showed up more often and did did certain things, I could out hustle and win opportunities. But even in today's world, I do think hustle is a thing um, in, in we could break it down to what, what does hustle really mean? I think belief is a, is a big part of this. But if to maybe understand what's a thing or not, Jesse, let's look at the opposite side of that. If you did not have hustle and your direct competitors hustled right? What would that do to your opportunity? So by mere fact of someone outworking you and in, in finding better meetings at higher levels with better decision makers, and they do it and you don't, I think there's a real price to pay if you don't. So Brian's verdict, hustle? Is a thing. I disagree. Oh, go. 
hustle by itself is not a thing. Uh, okay. And the reason why is because I think a lot of sellers and a lot of sales organizations use this as a proxy for the really hard work that they need to do on understanding who their buyer is, understanding how their buyer is buying and getting the right messaging to actually get to priority. So this is, this is a case of um, hustling like hell in the wrong direction a lot of times. Fair point. Absolutely. So I think hustle by itself is not a thing, uh, but hustle when applied to a good plan and a team that knows exactly what they need to do to be better consultants than to get higher in the organization. Absolutely. So knowing now how you work, Jesse, you're going first next time. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're right about that. I just made an assumption that we were going to hustle. But but I think that's a great point. In, in, what's funny about that is, is you see all this technology being deployed in the sales world. And when you, when you look at amplification and reach and speed and all that, what if it was the world's worst message? And oh, yet you just automated that and you just broadcast it to the world. So you could hustle and execute like heck in the wrong direction. So yeah, I could buy really a noticed. Super Bowl ad that said exactly how bad my product was and show that to everybody. Right. Yeah. That's, that's uh, quite but- a reach. But but often we, we see sales leaders saying, uh, well, the, the team just has no hustle. They just don't work very hard, right? And it's like, but without the right tools in their hands, without the right messages to actually take to the marketplace, without something in a subject line of an email that actually gets a prospect. Yeah, attention, great point. Hustle. Yep, great point. So Jesse's verdict, hustle, not a thing. Brian's uh, belief is that hustle could be a thing. <laughs> But it'll only, be, it'll only be listen to Jesse first. You can find out more about the Priority Sale by visiting thepriorityseal.com. That's also where you can go contact us to tell us your thoughts or just why our opinions are very bad. Or if you like something you heard and think others would like it too, share it with a friend or give us a rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. The Priority Sale podcast is produced by Tiffany Jordan and Jesse Levine editing and original music by Mark Ertl. The priority sale is registered trademark of Revenue Path Group Incorporated, all rights reserved.